Welcome back. I am the Toaster, returning yet again to share with you the turmoil and terror of the 19th century. If you've made it this far, I applaud you. You can relax for tonight, however, as the tale I am presenting tonight is not one of horror, but a tragedy in the personal life of our friend, Edgar Allan Poe. This evening, I am taking you back to January 27th, 1847, just a few days before the death of Poe's wife, Virginia. Tuberculosis is a terrible thing, is it not? Without any further ado, let us venture there tonight and experience one of the last interactions between the writer and his wife. Close the door, Edgar. You're letting in the cold. Yes. Why are you soaked? I forgot my overcoat. You'll catch a cold if you continue to do that, Edgar. A cold might allow me to spend more time with you, dear. Do not speak like that. I'm sorry, Virginia. Where are the things I asked you to get for me? I beg your pardon? The medicine, Edgar. Where is the medicine? Right, yes. It's... It's in here somewhere. Virginia, I don't know where it went. You never bought it, did you? I did. I promise I did. You have been lying to me for far too long, Edgar. I will not allow you to lie further. I'm not lying, my love. You reek of brandy! I, I might have stopped off at the pub for a drink on my way home. In all likelihood, that's where the medicine parted ways with me. A pickpocket must have it now. I cannot believe your obstinance. My obstinance? Yes, your obstinance. How can I trust you anyway, Edgar? What do you mean? Need I mention Elizabeth and Francis? Virginia, I don't believe this is something we should discuss. I'm dying, Edgar. The least you can do is be honest with me now. Hmm. It bears mentioning that nothing would have happened between myself and Mrs. Osgood had you not introduced us. You cannot pin this on me. You brought her into this house. As more Miss Ellett, nothing did happen, and that, I swear to you, is true. <laughs> Miss Ellett has been my murderer for these months. And I know accomplice. Did you buy the medicine like I asked of you? No. No. <laughs> I spent what you gave me at the pub. There. Are you happy? I'm not happy, Edgar. I'll go out and get some now. There's no use. I'm already dead. My body just doesn't know it yet. I've been writing, dear. About me? Yes. I've been working on a poem. Annabelle Lee, it's called. 
read me some of it? Yes. Ah, here. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we, and neither the angels in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabel Lee. What do you think? It sounds lovely. Do I die in it? I'd like to think that you don't, but rather you go up to the angels. I believe that's where I'll go, yes. Edgar. Yes. Tell me something. Anything, my dear. Will you be happy when I'm gone? I could never be happy without you, Virginia. You must. You must for, for me. You're carrying the happiness of two people now. You're right, my dear. I will go on for both of us until we can be together again. Virginia died three nights later, 24 years old. Unfortunately for her, Poe didn't carry the happiness of two people. Instead, he lost any semblance of joy once Virginia was in the ground. I remember the funeral. Edgar was always a bit odd, but after Virginia's burial, he was particularly out of sorts. Up until the day he died, really. He also promised to Virginia that he'd quit drinking. Yet, another broken promise. Listener, one could argue that Poe's best works were completed after the death of his wife. I'd like to share with you now one of them. You surely know it, so please, feel free to recite along with the man himself. Until next week, listener. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ha! Distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly, I had sought to borrow from my book surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is, and nothing more. 
Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore, but the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door, darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, Long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortals ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again, I heard a tapping, somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely, that is something at my window lattice. Let me see, then, what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady, perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat and nothing more. Then... This ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore, though thy crest be shorn and shaven thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly, grim, and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Much. I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore, for we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such name as nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely, on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour, nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before, on the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, nevermore. Startled at the stillness, broken by reply so aptly spoken, doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master, who unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster, till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore, of never, never more. But the raven, still beguiling all my fancy into smiling, Straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door, then upon the velvet sinking I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl, whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core, this and more. I sat divining, 
with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er she shall press, ah, nevermore. Then, methought, the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor wretch i cried thy god hath lent thee by these angels he hath sent thee respite respite and nepenthe from thy memories of lenore quaff oh quaff this kind nepenthe and forget this lost lenore quoth the raven nevermore Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate, yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked, upstarting, get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door, quoth the raven. Nevermore. And the raven, never flitting. Still is sitting, still is sitting on that pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore.